0: What's up, everybody? You are listening to No Coast Cinema here on WG and Plus, your guide to the world of cinema here in Chicago and all around the world. I am your host, Tom Hush. Joined today with my other host, my
1: best friend in the whole world. Don't even at me. Uh, it's Connor Cornelius. Hey, Tom, love you, Tom. Thank you, uh, co-host. No, uh, no coast cinema. No coast, no coast co-host. You are the no coast co host, and my name is Connor Cornelius. It's I like the alliteration. I'm did in you do right that in pur- on purpose? I did. When you got pre- it, I got it changed. <laughs> Recent. What was it before? Incredibly recently. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, what was it before? Yeah. Uh, root robrin. <laughs> so <laughs> the alliteration is still there. It's just that, yeah. Yeah. I feel like the double C kind of works. Being named after a subterranean plant, it's not as cool as no something that in Latin, of course, translates to lover of dogs. What, can,
0: what more can you say about it? But that's my fantastic co-host. Today we are joined with two great guests, two fantastic guests. is Nate Waters and Kara Brooks. They are the co-founders of Into the Void Films, and they are also freelance filmmakers in their own right. How's it going? Thank you so much for joining us. It's going well. It's thank going you for great. having us. Yeah, yeah thank great you. To, great to be here. Is this your first time on a podcast? This is technically my second. Really?
2: What was the first podcast you were on? It was oh how many years ago? A few four years, years, ago. A, four years, yeah, probably four years ago. Uh, I was featured on a podcast um, about a feature film that I was doing that to this day hasn't been finished yet. I kind of oh, left wow. that project, but <laughs> um, I was on a short podcast for that.
0: Fantastic! Yeah, it's called the well, Graveyard Podcast. Ooh, yep. We it's actually dark. shot it in a graveyard. Really, we did. Like well, at least at least they are you know true to name and true to form. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Well, welcome to No Coast Cinema. Uh, we really appreciate it. This is our second ever episode, All so right. you're really here at the ground level All in right. its infancy. Uh, we're gonna be talking to them a little bit later about. Uh, their work with Into the Void films and a little bit about how they got into filmmaking, you know, what they love about the movies the most. But first, we're going to start out with our opening segment, Coming Attractions. So with Coming Attractions, we like to look at the news that is shaping the business of cinema here in the States and around the world, because cinema is a global art. Uh, Connor, you've got some news about a film that has been a little bit contentious in its yep. release.
1: Yep. so uh, we, we got a Deadline article here written by Anthony D'Alessandro, uh, and what it tackles, essentially, is uh, Ghost in the Shell, or perhaps Ghost in the Shill, in that it is losing horrendous amounts of money, not only domestically, but in the global box office. What uh, anonymous film finance sources have conceded is that Paramount's Ghost in the Shell? The adaptation, which is of course an adaptation from a popular manga, uh, stands to lose around sixty million dollars. Sixty million dollars. Yeah, that's sixty million dollars. And uh, you know, it's it's the opening box office
0: weekend for this. Now, this article was written uh, April fifth, and that's when it came, that's when the film came out. Uh, it was opening domestic box office was eighteen point six million, which is really. Not a whole lot. And considering how much they thought this might do.
1: A lot of critics are uh, criticizing it for relying too heavily on uh, the Chinese and the Japanese markets. Yeah, and that's something that's really
0: uh, interesting. In cinema today And feel free Nate and uh, K.R. To jump in on this If you, if you feel like it But um, we're seeing A lot more movies That are co-produced With Chinese studios um, That are really relying Heavily on the International market To be successful uh, A specific series That just had Its latest installment Come out this weekend Is The Fast and the Furious Those have always Kind of traditionally done At least the last few films Have traditionally done better than In the uh, international market than here in the states, like really making millions and million billions, even uh, the F- Furious Seven crossed the one point five billion mark. It was the mm-hmm. third most uh, profitable movie of uh, two thousand and fifteen. Are you guys Fast and the Furious people?
3: I enjoy those movies. Are you fam? I uh, <laughs> are you fam? Are you fam? I, I, am?
2: I actually do enjoy them. I usually get out to the theater to see them, um, usually with my brother. My first. Experience with the first Fast and the Furious. Actually, Um, I had come home one day. This is when I was still living with my parents, and my dad went out and bought an entire surround sound speaker system. And I came home and I just hear like cars (laughs) all around my living room. So that's that was like one of my first introductions into the film. I think I had seen it before that, but I don't know. It was just something about him that. I don't know I spoke to me I guess I don't I don't know
3: For my money I think the 7th one directed by james wan was probably my favorite and seeing someone who came from the horror world like with saw and dead silence and he came yeah. up through the ranks you know and have him jump on into this huge studio project it kind of feels like the inmates are running the asylum so that's yeah. fun and the same thing with um fate of the furious it's directed by the guy that did like friday and straight out of compton so to see like you know they get these different directors and i think they got justin lynn who did uh that bruce lee movie i forget it came out like 95 it's like Okay, of the dragon. Yeah, you
0: know? and Justin Lin has been with the franchise for a, for while. a long time. Yeah, yeah, he started with Tokyo Drift.
3: Yeah. Okay. So yeah. who directed? Rob Cohen did the first one, then right? Yeah,
0: Rob Cohen was the first one, and they then they were, had John Singleton. Okay. For Too Fast, for too and fast, then it was basically period. Justin Lin up through number seven, James Wan. Yeah. But uh, pointing out that you guys pointed out the the directors here and who's working on these films, it's a lot more diverse. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, you know, going to that larger international market, especially with Justin Lin and James Wan being very popular. They're Asians. They are Asian American or at least, you know, I don't know if they're Asian American. That's probably (laughs) misspaking there, but they are are they're non-white and, you know, they're
1: bringing diversity to the role. but.
0: And with, speaking of which, yeah, the, diversity uh, <laughs> is
1: another problem with Ghost in the Shell. Exactly. Of course, the the big controversy, if you've heard anything about it, is uh, uh, the whitewashing controversy. Casting Scarlett Johansson as the lead in a uh, a story written by a Japanese artist um, you know, that's not exactly a problem that you're run, whitewashing isn't a problem you're running into with the Fast and the Furious no
3: yeah not at franchise all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: and with the Ghost in the Shell to bring it back to this is. You know, if if you're if you're gonna rely heavily on the international markets, now granted, Scarlett Johansson is an international star. She's in the Avengers. She's you know she's been in she's well known, and she's well known for playing roles that do involve some sort of stoic cybernetic thing. Like she was the voice in her, and even in Under the Skin, where she was not a robot, she had that kind of stoic thing. So, realistically speaking, it's not a terrible choice. For an actress, but what do you? How do you guys feel about the race thing? In terms of are they being dishonest or are they just trying to bank on a star?
3: I think obviously using her as a name actress to get this property off the ground is a big thing, but um, as far as like casting international actors in movies that are going to cater to international audiences, I feel like that's really important. Mm-hmm. If um, you're if you're gonna rely on yeah, Japan and China, get, like, get some people from yeah. those countries in the movie to represent those countries. You know,
0: I mean, and that that happens in. Um, a lot of Hollywood movies now is that they'll bring in uh, a good example of Star Wars Rogue One. You had two Asian actors playing prominent roles that, you know, maybe people overseas can identify with better than just having the traditional mm-hmm. white um, protagonists. And even, you know, Diego Luna playing a major role in Rogue One uh, probably helped at least in terms of having people identify with the characters and Mm -hmm.
1: giving a little bit of diversity. Uh, What do you think, Connor? Well, it it is interesting that uh, they decided to do that with Star Wars. However, I will say I don't think those characters were very fleshed out at all. They do maybe seem just to be thrown in there, uh, for lack of a better word. Is it like like tokenism, in a Uh, sense? Maybe not necessarily tokenism, but um, specifically with, uh, you know, obviously Star Wars, that's going to that's going to be a huge thing in world culture for at least the next several decades right i mean it's been huge ever since it came out in the in the 80s or late 70s yeah star wars was uh actually celebrating its 40th anniversary side note 40th anniversary star wars yeah it's 1977 77. yeah 77 yeah. <laughs> math but ghosts of the show <laughs> right i mean it's a niche intellectual property as the article points out um you're not going to quite get the Fast and the Furious crowds to go see it. You're not going to get the Star Wars fans to go see it necessarily, unless it's unless it's great, and uh, you know it's it. One of the things that meant yeah, it's it's the, it's, the, it's,
0: the, it's the niche IP. It's exactly what you're saying. It's a niche intellectual property. There are fans here, but. You know, they're rather few and far between, and they were too turned off by the whole whitewashing yeah. scandal, to the casting of Scarlett Johansson, to really even give it a chance.
3: And you're seeing the same thing with the uh, Death Note Netflix. Yeah. Uh, is another, is it a miniseries or a movie? I think it's a movie. Okay. and it's I another. it's a movie. Yeah. Directed by Adam Wingard. He did yeah. Blair Witch and, and You're um, Next and The Guest. And...
0: Yeah, a great a great director. And it has um, Nat Wolf, who's been in a few films. He's, uh, mm. I think, fairly popular for being in... In some John Green adaptations But he's a knowable name Willem Dafoe yeah. is in it the- and But like people are still Upset they're like why are you
1: taking this Japanese Property and not using Asian actors And is that not an encouraging sign About sort of the developments that are Happening not only in film As, a, as a, an art but as You know the culture that's inherent in that Right I think it is encouraging that People are asking for some diversity. I mean,
0: uh, we'll probably talk about this later, but with Get Out, you know, a, a massive film, massive in terms of how much money it brought in, it was incredibly successful because it was made by a black director, had a, pro- a black protagonist tackling mm. some serious issues for the black community, and people really responded to that. They really wanted to see those stories because they're tired of seeing just like. You know, white dudes running around shooting things. Maybe we need something a little bit more salient, I guess, for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah, it seems to be reflecting sort of a, a change in standards for for Hollywood and for film in general. Uh, I think the internet seems to have a, a decent impact on that. I know that the whitewashing controversy was largely spread through through that, you know, yeah. social media outlets and all of that. Uh, but it does seem to be reflecting uh, moviegoer outrage at uh, Hollywood's Proclivity towards hiring white actors in situations that doesn't necessarily call for that casting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
3: In the studios, um, they, they're on social media. They see people's comments. They, they, if they see this kind of backlash against Ghost in the Shell or you know Old Boy or Death Note or what have you, yeah. they respond to that and they're not going to make that mistake twice. You
0: yeah. Know? Let's hope so. Let's really, yeah, really let's hope, hope so. so. I'm
3: giving them some credit.
0: Yeah. You know? um, because especially if you're going to lose, you know, this is a hundred million plus dollar movie. If you're going to lose $60 million on that, someone's getting in trouble. and hopefully That executive
3: gonna it. got in trouble that day. Oh, for yeah. Sure.
0: Hopefully they're not going to make that same mistake. Uh, speaking of mistakes, let's go over to the Academy Awards, the kings <laughs> of making mistakes in movies and movie culture. Never. Um, so they have released some changes to the rules for the upcoming, um, well, next year's Academy Awards. I wouldn't say upcoming necessarily, but uh, next year's Academy Awards, they've made some changes uh, based on... What happened this last year Uh, One of them is uh, Dealing with documentaries You know the winner for best documentary This past Academy Awards was O.J. Made in America which was originally A multi-part documentary Released on television On ESPN Mm -hmm. and You know it was episodic but It did get a theatrical release So therefore it was eligible and It beat out some pretty great documentaries That were one contiguous Program uh, beat um, 13th, the, the documentary by Ava DuVernay. It beat out I Am Not Your Negro, which is a fantastic documentary. Um, not saying that O.J. Made in America wasn't good. Mm-hmm. It was good, but um, it didn't really meet the... It met uh, the criteria that really shouldn't have been there, I guess. So they're changing it so that um, multi-part documentaries are no longer eligible to get into that category. It has to be one contiguous thing. Any, I mean, do you guys prefer that? Do you think it's a good idea, or does O.J. Made in America deserve the same chance to win something at the Academy Awards?
3: I mean, I think it depends on its intended distribution method. Like, right. There's a part of me that does kind of feel like if it was originally put on TV in many episodes, or in episodes, and kind of compartmentalized like that, it should be judged as that because that was the intended form for it. But at the same time, I can kind of see why filmmakers would get upset if they, you know, made something in that form, condensed it into a feature, and then now they're disqualified. It's kind of hard, man. Like I guess you gotta. It's a case by case scenario. I, I think right. maybe instead of having like a overall rule, they should play it like by ear.
0: Yeah, um, it, it, it's it seems like you know when it's released on TV. Well, if it's really good, why shouldn't it be? It's a documentary. Why shouldn't it be up for best documentary? Because we have the Emmys. You know, maybe there needs to be a category. I don't know if there is a category in the Emmys um, for TV documentaries because there's some pretty great stuff out there. Like, you know, ESPN's own 30 for 30 series has been. Uh, uber successful in its in its uh intent and people really enjoy them so why don't they deserve to be recognized but maybe not in the same vein as something that is you know so uh meticulously edited to be a two-hour documentary meant to be seen at one time not over many different episodes
1: i think it i think there's a certain strength in being able to convey a message in that short amount of time uh uh, the the OJ documentary it spanned you know nine or ten hours yeah right so there is a certain strength in filmmaking in being able to convey uh, m- you know maybe a or at least make order out of you know the chaos of the of the real world in right. under two and a half hours taking ten hours to to do that to take that that case of the OJ trial maybe it could have you know if it had been condensed in a little bit more it might have actually uh, portrayed that the the director was a little bit more of a of a competent film not to say that it's that they're incompetent, incompetent filmmakers but, like, but but
0: they were trying to make something that would fit that particular style it's all it's just a question of style really
1: because that's what a documentary really is right is kind of Taking a story and trying to construct an order around it, even yeah, though what actually it. happened, right? Even though what actually happened was was much more chaotic, right? I, I would say
0: for me, it was almost like saying, you know, Band of Brothers. If you took Band of Brothers, released it in a theater, and called it a movie, yeah, well, that's just mm-hmm. totally unfair. That's almost ten hours of storytelling. Mm-hmm. That's going to beat out Saving Private Ryan every time. You know, mm-hmm. that's just not fair. You get that much time to tell a story.
3: I get into a similar. Um Debate sometimes with with other horror fans about whether or not the it, uh, TV movie counts as a feature film. <laughs> I was just and, thinking about you know, that because people are like the new one's a remake, and so my argument is that it's not really a remake; it's just a new version of the book, right? Because yeah. all adaptations of the book, but uh, yeah, it's a TV movie, and it's it's longer than a normal movie would be, I think. So I don't really consider it a remake of that version of it. You know, yeah.
0: Mr. Brooks, do you have any thoughts on that for it?
2: in particular it, any any yeah, of it yeah. um i mean i i, I kind of agree with nate like if if there's if you can um
0: i guess you have to uh, i don't i'm not sure what i'm trying to say <laughs> um, i mean it's an interesting topic like how do you how do you uh, tell someone what what their work is or isn't based on the medium it was released in yeah. you right. know if you watch it the the one with um tim curry you know if you watch that one in its entirety, is it not just a really long movie? Because when you're watching it at home, it's not really in two episodes. I don't know. I've never seen the home media release. Um,
3: it's a it's it's a two sided DVD. It's a two yeah. Cause it's so long, so you got to flip it over like yeah. at the halfway point.
0: So if you watch the Lord of the Rings extended editions, where you have to change the disc in the middle of yeah. it, like are you? Is it different? I mean, it's. I don't know. It's
3: uh, it's a good it's a good nut to crack open. There's some yeah. good questions in there. And um, also too, like the it the it TV series or TV movie is really interesting because it was very scary as a kid but you go back and I like I just watched it a couple of weeks ago and it's not that scary at all. Oh, it's, it's not it's, it's pretty not. it's pretty bad, you know, like no exactly. offense. <laughs> no offense to Tommy Lee Wallace. Like I I love your, your movies. I love Halloween 3, but something about that movie just doesn't hold up yeah. but Tim Curry is fucking on fire. Like, yeah. he is he's on fire in that movie. That yeah.
2: movie terrified me when I was younger when I mm-hmm. saw it. It did. It re- like I was up two all episodes or night. night, you know. Yeah, I was up all night and i couldn't go to sleep because i thought he was in the room with me oh, like in, in really the shower
3: dead. you think he's going to come out of the drain and yeah uh, yeah, see yeah you in your I, dreams
1: i watched uh, it i i didn't actually know that it was a two part double sided dvd situation <laughs> oh, no. when i when i started it and like you said it's not i i don't think that it's a great movie but there was some part of my life that there just some part of me that was terrified of of storm drains and then yeah. I saw that scene where it is trying to convince the child to come down and I was like oh that's it that's yeah. that's where that Scared me comes from, and maybe the uh, the two parter. I mean, we're talking about adapting a massive book,
3: yeah, something
0: like to the effect of like eleven hundred pages. Eleven hundred so pages, um, and so maybe and that's that was the abridged only version. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the only way to present it was in the two well, I mean, episodes that, that, on TV.
3: That's, um, Stephen King has a version of the Stand that's like thirteen hundred. Oh pages. yeah, that's, that's the, the director's cut. Yeah, the you
0: unrated know? version of the Stand. Yeah, uh, so who knows we'll have to see at the next academy awards how that goes but another rule change that they have and this pertains to animation is that uh now starting with this next academy awards any member of the academy is allowed to be on the nomination process for best animated feature film now that's a change from its original ruling which was you basically had to work in the animation field For a certain amount of time You had to be part of so many productions And then you were part of the nomination process This is opening it up to everybody And there's a little bit of worry About who's going to get pushed out In terms of nominations Now this past year there was a good mix um, you, You're always going to get the Disneys You're going to get the Zootopia You're going to get your Moana But uh, this past year we saw films like The Red Turtle we saw My Life is a Zucchini. Um, a lot of smaller productions that not a lot of people are going to see, much less children. Uh, really, I don't know if any of you have seen The Red Turtle or My Life is a Zucchini, no. but they're, they're not really kid focused. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't going to see Moana. This is a little bit more intense. My Life is a Zucchini deals with like orphans and like abandonment and all this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. The Red Turtle is ostensibly like a, a silent film, there's no dialogue. It's all just it's all just regular sound and animation. So when you're opening it up to more people, are you would you guys be afraid that anim- they're going to just push out those art film those more arty films in order to get animation that's more popular?
1: I don't think that Pixar is going to have any
0: competition well, yeah, they don't in getting
1: really... that nomination. <laughs> they're always going to be in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're always going to be in there. But are we just going to see more stuff that's you know a little bit more commercial? The the ones that people have actually seen Because you know You may be a member of the academy you may work in Hollywood That doesn't mean you see every movie that comes out yeah. And there's already a problem In the sense that a lot of films get nominated Just because like oh, well you know I kind of wanted to see it And it looked good like click you know Check that one off the, In my opinion there's been a lot of mistakes over the years Are we going to open this up to more mistakes Just by not having people who understand What they're talking about
3: I think it's it's kind of tricky uh, because they had that system in place to kind of weed out people who were a little too new to the system, you know? So it's interesting. I hope that's not what happens because, like, some of the best shorts that you see are the independent stuff, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Independent. I mean, if you look at uh, Spirited Away, that re- that and that was Best Animated Feature in, um, yeah. like, 2002. Uh, fun fact, the first film to win Best Animated Feature, does anybody know? Oof! Yeah, that was that category was instituted in 2001. So the very first winner was Shrek. Oh, Yes. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I just had to say that. Okay. But um, Spirited greatest Away, of all time. Yeah. Spirited Away, um, one in my opinion, one of the greatest animated films of all time.
1: Um, that I really, was talking about Shrek. Oh, really? Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> let's forget about Spirited Away. Let's talk let's, about let's Shrek talk about and Donkey. Shrek.
1: Oh, let's get down to the real issues here. Do you have the whole story? The four piece box set? I oh, do. My
3: my son loves Shrek so well. We've seen the first and second one like a million times, right? And right now he's on a Moana kick. So we watch Moana on loop at my house. Well that's so, good. Yeah, when you guys said Moana, I just had like PTSD flashes <laughs> of like consider the coconut the what?
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. But um, I'm with, sorry, Tom. <laughs> with uh with Studio Ghibli, those I mean and specifically Spirited Away, those are pretty um obscure films. At the time and then Spirited Away Really cracks it open because it gets distributed In the US by Disney So that really I mean that had the help Of its corporate uh, backing But could a film like Spirited Away Without that backing Really do that again Um, I'm, I'm thinking Specifically about this movie that came out and in the states recently called your name And it's like the the biggest Selling film in Japan Of 2016 like I think It, it beat the all time record which was set Was by spirited away mm-hmm. it's made millions Upon millions and millions of dollars And just got released in the US I don't know if it's going to be Eligible but could it get Picked even if nobody's Really seeing it in the They they're Going to ignore that I'm just going to say that Right now they're going to ignore a film like that
1: and um, especially if they don't do an English translation. Luckily, they did. They did do.
0: They did a dub. Oh, okay. Um, and I actually saw. I saw the dub. It's a very good movie, and I think if it should be eligible for at least best foreign language or something like that, or foreign animated. But um, with these film change, with these rule changes, I don't know. We could see a degrading of the. I feel like
1: I'm. I'm really.
0: Well could in it this not, animation thing I'm yeah, like yeah. Well, the animation. well
1: it's an interesting question <laughs> because dangerous- i mean for for a lot of people the oscars are the pinnacle of uh of cinema especially if you're dealing with you know uh big money which obviously oh, yeah. all films uh require but i mean the oscars are yeah like i said the pinnacle of artistic achievement in cinema yeah, for for a, for a lot of people, people yeah um that change kind of begs the question will Uh, taking the control of this nomination process away from the people who actually worked in the animation industry, is that going to dilute the nomination process, where people are just sort of following uh, the popular opinion about Uh what should be nominated? Or is it going to... Because I know that they did recently hire um, uh, the Academy tried to Get a little bit more of a diverse population right they they instituted some rules about how
0: long you could be in the academy based on like how frequently you're vo- voting, how long it's been since
1: your last like piece of work mm-hmm. in the uh, in the industry. So the question is, giving those people, everyone in the Academy, the same amount of power for that nomination process, is that going to dilute it, or is it going to maybe open it up a little bit more, even?
0: Yeah, that's actually... You know what? I did not consider that. You could really get some more diverse voices. Um, To put it to you guys, um, I know, Nate, you're a big fan of horror. Mr. Brooks, you're also a horror guy? Yes. All right. Well, Into the Void films, I know you guys have had some horror. When you guys look for opinion on uh on horror do you look only to people who work inside the industry or do you you know how would you feel if someone that really doesn't know a whole lot of horror starts naming best horror films of you know the year
3: i'm i'm uh so as a horror fan um a lot of the stuff that we do doesn't really make it to the academy awards but when it does it's awesome like when um the exorcist i think got like five or six nominations
0: and that was that was the first film to a horror film to ever be nominated Mm
3: -hmm. but it was made by like a very competent director oh yeah like you you can't deny like horror outside of that movie like it's just a very well-made movie and it plays really well as a drama too right but um also seeing like silence of Mm -hmm. the lambs you know like every once in a while there's a horror movie that'll go to the oscars so i'm kind of used to liking movies that are kind of considered garbage by most people yeah so to me like I, i i enjoy the oscars i have fun watching them but i really kind of take them with a grain of salt because, yeah. I mean, we come from a genre where people, you know, we're like the, the redhead stepchild of the industry. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's totally okay for me, you know, and I'm fine being designated to that part of town, I guess.
0: But even within it, it, taking the Oscars out of it, within just looking at movies, um, do you listen – would you rather listen to people who you feel – know the genre a lot better are more involved with the genre even to the point of working within that genre or do you you know you don't mind opening it up to people who aren't necessarily as versed in that style as you guys and get those opinions there i mean everyone's entitled to their
2: their own opinion
0: on whatever they may view
2: or and, and consume um as a viewer but I personally like as far as reviews go or opinions on other people, I honestly don't care. <laughs> I have to see it for myself. Yeah. Right. Because my style, my taste is gonna be different than I mean, well, Nate that Nate's the only exception. We like have the same brain, I think. <laughs> for, stuff, brain. for some but hive mind. I was wondering what that was. <laughs> but, <laughs> but honestly, I uh you know, my fiance will look up reviews on every single movie before we see them. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> wow. I don't care. I want to see it. And and I don't want to know anything about it, really. I mean, you know, besides like the teasers or the trailers that I watch. But honestly, you know, I have to view it for myself. And, and I'll talk to anyone about, you know, oh, you liked X horror movie or whatever it may be. And that's fine, you know, because there have been many times where other horror filmmakers have told me, you have to see this movie, it's amazing, and I'll hate it. So,
0: yeah,
3: and you, know, you got
0: to take it all with uh, a little, as as you said, Nate, a greatness.
2: Exactly.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah. like yeah. those times where people that are huge horror fans will tell you that a movie that you know will probably be great sucks. Yeah. Like, I had someone, you know, at the music box be like, don't see Raw, it sucks.
0: And <laughs> Raw like, was incredible. <laughs> I, yeah, I've, I've been
3: hearing nothing but excellent things about that yeah. movie, so, you know, like, yeah, everybody has their own opinion. Everybody's gonna be different. And um, like for me, one of my favorite movies is a slasher movie. It's a uh, it's a jolly. It's called um, Pieces. Have you guys ever heard of it? No, no I haven't so it's it's basically a killer on this college campus and he's going around killing college girls and he's taking like so if if a girl's a ballerina dancer, he takes her legs. If he kills a swimmer, he takes her arms, and he's putting oh, wow. he's like making this Frankenstein girl <laughs> and then it cuts to like weird flashbacks of him as a child putting together this jigsaw puzzle of like a naked woman and like his mom comes in and is like what are you doing? And beats him up so i guess that cracked him right yeah. but that movie's like it's pretty awful but it's known within like you know by horror fans as being this kind of like this um this cult classic right okay, yeah. i love that movie but if i brought that up around people in film school they'd be they'd think it was insane it's yeah disgusting
0: what yeah. do you mean mm-hmm. oh. i hear you so really i guess it's just going to be let's see what happens here but you know take all opinions including those of the academy take them with a little grain of salt. You know, try to get out there and see it. I think people who are listening to this podcast share that philosophy with you guys. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're gonna take a little break here, uh, but when we come back, we're gonna move into our future presentation. We're gonna be talking into the void films, we're gonna be talking about some influences, talking about where you guys you know came up in the industry, all that good stuff coming up next on No Coast Cinema. Hey everybody, you are back here with No Coast Cinema on WGN+. Plus. I am your host, Tom Hush, joined as always by my best friend and worst enemy, my arch enemy, who I made
1: my friend, uh... Connor Cornelius. Tom, I love you and I hate you as much as I love and hate myself. And yeah. I'm so glad to be here uh, and with these two wonderful guests. Yes, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. We got Nate Waters and K.R. Brooks from Into the Void Films. They are the co founders of Into the Void and freelance filmmakers in their own right. Uh, they've been with us so far this whole episode and we really appreciate it, guys. How are you finding uh, Tribune Tower so far? It's great. Yeah, Thank it's you for having us. Awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. yeah. yeah. I'm so you, glad you could be with
3: us. You guys really should say the No Coast host was. The most. The no cost yeah. host.
0: Okay. Well, we're working on it. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Let it's me under put, development. Okay. Let me put that into my f- phone. Don't, my give, I, <laughs> don't, don't give the people too much of a glimpse behind the curtain. Yeah. yeah. I don't want them to enjoy this too much. Okay. I don't want them to. Because
1: once we do that, what do we do then? Yeah. There? Where do we Fair go? Enough.
0: Uh, anyway, uh, they are, Watch like it. I said, uh, co-founders <laughs> of Into the Void Films. Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about Into the Void? When did you guys get started? What was the initial vision of this uh, this company? So I think uh, it, was,
2: it was founded after Nate and I did our first film, but I, I don't like to tell that story. I, I like to go back to the first time I actually met Nate, and that was on another film that we both had – had, uh, I was the cinematographer. He was the... Uh, assistant director. Assistant director. And uh, the first time I met him, it was at a uh, conference room at Columbia College. And uh, I'm going to let Nate tell the story, because he tells it way better than I do.
3: Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we met at a, uh, at a production meeting for a short film called Critical Mass, not to be confused with Critical Ass. But, um, yeah, sorry. Which
1: yeah. everybody, of course,
3: yeah, has no, seen. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the one people did watch, not ours. But um, so it was a short film, and uh, we met at this production meeting, and they were doing one of those kind of like get to know each other exercises where it was like go around the room, say your name, what you do on the crew, and then what your favorite movie is. And it got to me, and I was sitting right across from Kevin, and Kevin, if if you know, uh, no one's ever seen him before. He's a pretty tall dude. Well, you, said, that.
0: you said six foot nine. Yes. Yes, he's got a
3: lot of tattoos, (laughs) you know, he's sitting there with his arms crossed, he looks pretty... Not confrontational, but you know, I don't want to mess with this guy. So, um, so it got to me, and I said, Hi, I'm Nate, and my favorite movie is The Shining. I'm a big horror movie fan. I like, ha- I wear that shit on my sleeve and I just get it right out there. And Kevin just, cr- his arms crossed, he looks dead serious and he just nods. <laughs> <laughs> and so then at that point, I was like, He's my friend. And like, we right. didn't, we didn't even really talk, but like, I think that's really like a testament to people, like, horror fans are the most passion- passionate people that I know. Like, we're like, Oh, you like Shining? I like Shining. We're friends. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, and from then on, like, when, when we were on set, we would just talk about stuff we liked. We're like, oh, you like Pan's Labyrinth? Okay, like, it's one of my favorite movies. Or you, like, Let Me In or uh, Let the Right One In? Or? Yeah. So And from there on, you know, we just, uh, we had an idea for a short film, which was called Void. And um, that's where we got the name Into the Void Films. And we've just been doing short films and working on other stuff ever since then.
0: So you both went to Columbia College, is that correct? Yes. Correct. And uh, did you, what were your specific concentrations? You know, uh,
2: when I started at Columbia, it was editing at first. Um, but as I started to go through uh, the classes and whatnot, because they kind of give you an overall understanding of everything. You know, you you write your own film, you produce it, you um, so you you get to do all these facets in filmmaking. And mine, uh, I really loved editing, which I still do today. But I eventually got into actually shooting film so cinematography so that's primarily what I do now for Into the Void along with some editing and, and a little bit of writing not so much anymore In, and yourself Nate,
0: are you taking the writing reins
2: the, for the
3: most part, but um, it's a, it's a big collaboration. Like mm-hmm. everything that we do, it's like being in a band. Everybody in the band has to sign off on it. Right. So I won't really take any specific direction until Kevin signs off on it. Just because, like he said, we have such similarly aligned interests that like we we never are on different pages.
0: Yeah. Um, and did you did you study uh, what did you study specifically at Columbia?
3: I uh, have a BA and BS. a lot of people say. I'm just kidding. Um, So I I started studying directing, and um, I quickly learned, like, after a year or two of doing that, uh, that, that, you know, you didn't really get to do as much of, like, the writing and producing stuff. So I changed my major to a general major, and I could um, take, like, screenwriting classes. That's when I uh, uh, took my first uh, assistant directing class, which has, you know, been really useful because that's what I do a lot as a freelance artist. But, yeah, I switched majors.
0: All right, Cool. Uh, Nate, I know you and I have talked. You're from Rock Falls, yep. Illinois. Rock
3: Falls, Illinois.
0: And the, that'll be another horror movie
2: that yeah. we we'll work <laughs> on eventually. Children of the Corn. And Kay, are you are
0: Port you said Portage Park? Portage Park, Portage area, Park. yeah, Chicago, Illinois, my entire life. So growing up in Chicago, did you uh did you watch a lot of movies growing up? Um, I know there you got a theater out there in Portage Park. I do. Yeah, we have uh, the Patio Theater, um, which is about two
2: blocks away from my parents' house. So I grew up right next to a small, like, boutique theater, I guess you can call it. Um, so I would always go there. Um, my my uh, main, uh, like, introduction into film and movies and whatnot was um, actually just the little rental house that was a block away, you know, right across the street from the park. Um and I would go there every weekend with my dad or mom, and then, and I would actually specifically go straight to the horror section and look at all the creepy covers, and then I'd pick one out when I was old enough for them to to say, okay, you can finally watch this film now, so... Uh, that that's how I got my introduction
0: to everything, really. So, was did the horror draw you just because of the cool covers, or did you already have an interest in the the horrific and the macabre? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both,
2: to be honest. Yeah, I I I always um, what was the one uh, Peter Jackson's horror film um, Dead Alive. Dead Alive. Dead Alive. Dead Alive. Yeah. yeah, that was one of them. That <laughs> it was just great. Bodies um, over. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I just always had this. Uh, interest in in horror and 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 dark
0: films so that's just how it started really and Nate growing up in Rock Falls what was your access to? the world of cinema like same like same deal your local theater your rent you know your movie rental place yeah
3: very similar to um kevin's experience uh, except there was a drive-in uh at, in my hometown and they would oh, do wow. like dust till dawn 35 millimeter prints of like you know awesome lineups like nightmare on elm street robert england's phantom of the opera and then like night of the comet and it's just like a lot of weird stuff you know and what
0: was it like sitting in the drive and watching like how do you feel that affected it's you?
3: amazing it's a really um it's a really like nostalgic experience and even though i didn't grow up in the 70s i can really appreciate in an age where everything's digital having someone string up you know like because they they, it's like the uh, grindhouse right where they would show like vintage trailers in between the movies right so it's just like a night out at the movies and um, i would often sneak in through the trunk of my friend's car so it's like the whole that kind of like cliche experience (laughs) of just being a teenager and growing up in a small town you know Wow. But I also um same thing I would watch movies from the Mom and Pop video store and you know um my t- uh, twin brother and I would like scour the horror section and just like find the weirdest stuff we could. And yeah, just kind of stem from there.
1: And those kinds of experiences are getting rarer and rarer as right. time goes on. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to be able to produce filmmakers uh with that sort of uh, you know, interest in the lesser known films and horror going forward or it's at least going to be a little bit more difficult
3: it'll be kids coming up like oh i streamed i streamed the, all those movies back <laughs> yeah. like, as opposed to like oh yeah i had to find like you know a weird vhs at the bottom of someone's box and at, like a garage sale you know and that's i mean like that's how it kind of was for me it was just like a word of mouth thing like oh, i found this movie mm-hmm. called luther the geek have you heard about <laughs> it and yeah that's the fun of it
0: Do you feel that that's the guiding spirit behind Into the Void films? Is that the kind of films you want to make in terms of things that people find and really enjoy on a level that's not necessarily, uh, you know, oh, this is a critically acclaimed sort of thing? It could be critically acclaimed, but um, from the way you're describing it, it's this, this idea of film where it's not about whether it's bad or good. It's whether you enjoy it and yeah. you have the experience. Do you feel like that's into the void for you guys?
3: I hope so. I mean, <laughs> I mean like obviously at this point we haven't really broken through into that much of like a, a mainstream audience or anything. I think we are our, our niche, you know, our I think our most viewed video is like maybe like a thousand or maybe a couple more views than that. But like. We've had people say like, really nice things to us, like "Oh, we've watched your movies and we like them." And like they're people we don't know, and to me that that's already a really nice feeling to have people that you don't know saying, "Oh, I got that reference you made," or like "I appreciate where you went with this one." You know.
0: Now tell us a little bit about. Making your first uh, feature, so the void or void, void rather, because yeah. we don't want to confuse it with. <laughs> no void, no void. Yeah, there's no. a lot. Of, there's a lot of films with void in a lot of void mean, the title. Enter the void. As yeah. Well, yep. Yeah. Exactly. So working on void, tell us what that was like. You know, deciding to make this project. Uh, I came. I well, Nate and I through
2: talking on set for the first with the the first film that we ever did. Um, I. Uh, started to talk to him about fairy tales and, and, and in specific dark fairy tales, which one of my favorite films is Pan's Labyrinth. So, and that's exactly what that film is essentially. Um, so I said, what if we did something like that? And we got to talking and it eventually turned into a musical dark (laughs) fantasy horror film. Yeah, it was crazy. Which for two guys who just finished film school was just an almost impossible task very ambitious very ambitious indeed <laughs> um it's like sweeney todd not set on earth totally <laughs> exactly.
3: and we like did demos and stuff we had like six we, songs ready yeah like, we
2: had songs ready to go and then we we got to a point where we're like you know what we might not have the money to do this to and it or, or to do it right the way we would want to mm-hmm. so we actually scrapped the musical idea but kept the story okay and we ended up doing that <laughs> well
0: at least that still exists and yeah. yeah uh so raising the money that's an important thing and we actually if you listen to our last episode with jake wiseman uh of Capper K- movie house that was something we talked about is this idea of raising the money how did you guys get about raising the money did you do kickstarter indiegogo or were you just kind of scrimping and saving yourself i i actually i want to say and i don't know nate can back
2: me up on this I think Void we raised the most money for Void out of any film that we've done in the past 4 years. Do you remember how much that was
3: roughly? About $1700, I think, or $1500, $1700. Yeah. Wow. And, and then and then also we put in about like 15 to 2 of our own money into it. So like right. altogether together it was about $4000. So that budget.
1: 1700 that came from just independent donations.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, and then uh, we would like uh, so people would get perks. So like we sent people scripts or like DVDs of the movie once it was all finished up and Yeah. Yeah and uh, it's kind of like diminishing returns because we've done it since then and we've had like moderate success but that first one was the one that we actually were able to get like you know some dough for well, right it's
2: yeah. because those i would say 99% of those um donations were family and friends yeah you know just people who Knew we make films and, and were excited to support us, whether it be $5, whether it be $100. Um, there were just a lot of people who came out and, and said, okay, you know what, here's some money. Go do what you do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, we're very grateful for those people who came out and,
0: and did that for mm-hmm. us. With, uh, with the family portion of it, have your fa- families been pretty supportive of your uh, aspirations?
3: Yeah for sure Um, I mean my mom and dad showed me a lot of these horror movies that I'm obsessed with now and you know my dad was the one taking me to the video store so yeah I mean I think like it was a natural progression um, for me to want to be a filmmaker and that's all I've ever really wanted to do since I was a little kid and I saw the first Halloween I wanted to be a director so they've you know been very supportive of that
0: how about your self care?
2: Yeah, it's the same same thing with me. Um, yeah, to this day, every time I visit my parents or someone in my family, they always ask me, "Hey, what do you got going on? Do you have anything that you know you can show me?" Like, and I usually, I, you know, I try and have at least something to to show them because they're they're just so like vested into the idea that it's just really cool. Well, actually, my favorite thing is when I show people some of our work; they always say. This looks like a real movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, <really>. good. <laughs>
3: good. That's what we wanted. Yeah. I,
2: that's what I was going for. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, you're not going it, for fake
3: movies, yeah? <laughs> or like or they're shot on like a handy cam or something. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it, it looks like a film that could potentially be in theaters. I guess. So that's always yeah. nice to hear from people. But um, yeah, I always try and they're very supportive of it.
1: Well, that's, that's important, obviously. Emotional and financial support, mm-hmm. always, always a good thing. But something we did talk about on the uh, previous episode with Jake Wiseman from Capra Movie House uh, is the matter of distribution. What did you guys decide to do in order to get Void out to, to build your audience?
3: Well, I think our, our first thought was um, to do a couple screenings around Chicago. Um, and then, you know, like we basically just put it up online with that one. We weren't really thinking about like a long term distribution plan. We were just so excited to get it out. We did a, like a couple of screenings and we just put it right up. But after that, um, we, we really started building up content. We wanted to make as many shorts as we could. And with shorts, um, the only real way of distribution is kind of film festivals or putting it up yourself, you know. Um, but with some of our uh, later shorts, we were able to take them, take them to some festivals and. Um, Our our latest one, Writer's Block, played at the Chicago Horror Film Festival last year and that was really cool. Um, but as far as distribution, besides festivals, we just put our stuff right up on our YouTube page.
2: Which that one played at the Patio Theater. Yeah, at the Patio, where I grew, you know, two blocks away. <laughs> so, from. So, so that, that was sort of of for a
3: for Kevin. Sounds yeah. like a yeah, surreal
2: experience. It was. Yeah, it was really cool to have it up there. Um, although, personally, it's hard for me to watch my own stuff, especially with other people. I, I don't know why. I I feel like there's a lot of filmmakers or actors or, or anyone in that field who
0: who feels that same way. But but it was it was a really cool experience. Nate, we've talked off mic. But for about uh, seeing your own films screened in front of people and audience. Can you tell, speak a little bit about audience reaction yeah, and how sure. you deal with that?
3: Sure. So um, in hiding um, is a feature script that I wrote uh, last year. And it's kind of like taking the best elements from like evil dead and reservoir dogs. Um, so it's basically a couple characters stuck in a warehouse and there's a demon in the basement and we see what happens, you know? So we did a uh, short film that was like a five minute proof of concept for that idea. And uh, Tom and I both work at the New 400 Theaters. Uh, stop there. It's Roger on Sheridan. Park. Yeah. <laughs> Plug, but. Um every Halloween they do the scarefest which is a one week long uh, marathon of different horror movies and everybody knows that I'm a horror nut so they asked me if I wanted to curate the thing as well as play some of our stuff so we played uh, a bunch of our other shorts as well as this proof of concept short for in hiding and um, the last night of the of the scarefest they had the Exorcist playing it was this beautiful 4k restoration and it looked like a million bucks but we played before that and that was the only night of this uh, of this fest that we that they sold out so it was like well, like 150 people in this tiny theater just wall to wall people and it was my first time and probably Kevin's as well I, you know like watching any of our, our stuff in front of like a, a real audience and there's a lot of people that really dug it and there's a lot of people who were like cheering us on and clapping and yeah. really feeling it and then there's some people who are heckling us a little bit which <laughs> you know I, it, it could be a little it could be a little rough when you know the filmmakers are in the house one of our friends who's one of the actors you know kind of told those people to shut up, but for me, honestly, it didn't it never bothered me. I think I've, I'm so used to this being a kind of a genre that people don't appreciate it that I'm not expecting everybody to get what we do. And I'm not really looking for approval, but it was a really, it was a skin thickening experience to have someone right in front of you. You'd be like, (laughs) that's your movie. My,
2: my favorite moment about screening that, because we had all like most of the the crew, well, some of the crew um, and some of the actors and actresses come out. And the best part was um, one of the leads in, in hiding, Sat down in a seat in the theater, and a guy across the aisle from her, I I don't know him, he was a random guy. He he looks at her, he's like, do I know you? And she's like, well, I'm in a couple of the shorts that have been playing throughout the last week. So he had been to the theater throughout the week and noticed her, and he was like starstruck. He was like, oh my God, (laughs) You're you're the actress in these films that I've been watching. And it was just the coolest thing to see.
1: Um, It was great. It was just really cool. What do you guys got coming up the pipeline?
3: Well, right now um, we finished a couple of proof of concept shorts for two feature scripts that we want to try to get made. Um, So right now we're basically just trying to take these out and see if we can create some interest. And, um, I'm just writing a lot in addition to freelancing on other people's projects. So, uh, I'm about to start up on a feature and I'm trying to finish up on a, on a sci-fi script before then. So just creating content, man, trying to make as much stuff as I can.
0: Very cool. How about yourself, care?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, Nate and I work on, you know, most of the same stuff, uh, you know, and when I'm not actually on set shooting a film, you know, proof of concept or whatever we have going, I'm usually researching stuff on because i i mainly do a lot of or all of the cinematography so you know it's always a learning process there's always new things coming out um new i don't want to say techniques but just this wealth of information that just you have to kind of stay ahead of so it's like that that's what my a lot of my free time is just on either youtube or whatever it may be and just getting ahead reading articles and Yeah, on new gear coming up or or whatever. So I do a lot of that while he's uh, writing our films. He's writing. (laughs) God. Yeah. That's actually, if
3: I can uh, take a side street for a second, If if I was to give any advice to anyone who wants to start up in film, it would be to P.A., and to try to, to uh, be an assistant on every department of a production that you can, because there's a lot of directors who don't know anything about how a film works, and they show up and they want all of these unrealistic things. But if you've if you've worked for production design, if you've helped put a camera together, and you understand all those things, then you're not going to be a surprise when you know the day hits you over the head yeah yeah. that's my big advice because you you see a lot of people that that are kind of like in love with the idea of making movies but they don't want to learn everybody's job and you've worked on quite a few sets yeah oh yeah I've been uh, consistently on set since I was about 20 you know so about five years or six years of doing it so
0: so, you know, what, what's it like doing it from the ground up?
3: It's awesome. I mean, like, it, uh, it's pretty thankless being the guy that has to sit in the truck and watch the gear all day. Yeah. But then, you know, being the AD, you're li- like literally the person keeping the schedule together. You have to send the schedule to everybody. If somebody shows up late, it's your fault. Wow. Um, it's everything rolls on you. So you have to be in charge of everybody's department. Um, so, yeah, like that would be my biggest advice is just try to get on other people's sets. If, even if it's like a music video, if it's a feature a commercial. Specifically if you can get on a commercial or get on something like a Chicago fire, do it because those are big sets and you're gonna learn a lot, you know?
0: Yeah. KR, do you have any specific advice to throw out to to people with your experience in cinematography? Um you know, it's
2: as much as I talked about, you know, new gear and new things coming out, go out and shoot. That's that's really all you have to do. And that's how you learn. And it doesn't matter if you have uh, $80,000 camera or a $200, you know, or your iPhone. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've seen films in the past that have been shot entirely on iPhones. Tangerine. You know, not too long t- long yeah, exactly. Yeah. So go out and shoot and create content because that's how you're
1: going to learn. Yep. And Connor, I think you have a little bit of a philosophical thing to throw. That might be a little overstating it, but uh, <laughs> as... Uh, I have no real uh, experience in the film world beyond being a fan. Horror has always seemed to me to be an underappreciated uh, piece of the art form. Um, sort of what you guys were talking about before. If you say, oh, I like a certain film, they sort of laugh at it. Or they're watching certain aspects of your films. And some people have la- have laughed at that. It doesn't... Uh, A lot of people are willing to throw that under the bus. But for me, horror has always been such a it it seems to rely on just the basic extremes of the human experience on just like fear there are aspects of horror, of great horror films which are actually hilarious right the evil dead i think you can't mm-hmm. go through that without without cracking up sure. a few times or i think nate you said your favorite film was the shining there are scenes in that movie just profound sense of of boredom and or just mundanity yeah. and I uh, What I'm most interested in I've always been very affected by horror films Especially as a young kid um, And I'm sure we'll talk about this more In our following segment But what I really wanted to know from you guys When I learned that you were going to be coming in today Was how do you In your films Inject that uh, That sentiment of The extreme The extremeness or the Not extremism But the uh, just that profound aspect of the of the human experience to, I don't know I'm, I'm rambling
3: a <laughs> like trying to get try, that you. that sense of
0: like because you're trying to describe something that's really kind of indescribable how do you so that those uh, those parts of the human experience that come through in horror that go beyond the jump scares go beyond the gore how do you get those into the film well we I think some of it
2: comes from our own Life experiences, and I think Nate can talk a little bit better about that for in the hiding, in terms of. But it's it's more like putting our characters into these situations that, I mean, would I mean in reality never really happen, most likely. But, um, you know, it, it all stems from what we have going on in our own lives. So, and I think Nate can, if he wants to, can talk about that because in hiding was was essentially. It's very, very personal. Yeah,
3: Yeah, please share. Sure. So um, one of my favorite quotes about horror comes from my man, Stephen King. And uh, he said that horror has the capacity for allegory and metaphor that few other genres can match. And I think that's true. Horror allows you to tell stories that connect to wide audiences, but they can be very personal in terms of the connection, you know. So with In Hiding, um, the story is essentially a big sister having to take care of her little sister who just got shot and is bleeding to death, you know, and they can't leave this warehouse. So it's like right out of Reservoir Dogs territory. But um, for me, what that's speaking to is um, in 2014, I lost my twin brother to cancer. And so that movie for me is a, is a metaphor on on fear and guilt. And that demon just really represents this catalyst of like, you know, you're responsible for taking care of someone who's going to die. And like, how do you deal with that, you know? So for me, like horror allows you to tell incredibly personal stories, but in a way that may be a little more subtle than that. Like, like someone would watching that movie wouldn't guess that it's about me dealing with the loss of, you know, my brother. But that's really what it's about.
0: Thank you very much. That is that is fantastic, and it really gets to the core of the horror. Mm-hmm. You know, dealing with things that affect us. And yeah. I, the quote is true. It really does have a propensity for. Metaphor and allegory that few other genres Have Uh, Fantastic thank you again so much for joining Us if it's cool with you would you like to join Us for after credit sequence because We are going to be talking a little bit About you know you guys are big horror guys I want to talk really about this New trend in cinema especially I guess a a new wave in horror Or at least a new way of thinking about horror that's really Brought it back to prominence and I think that You two are going to be the ones to talk About it. if you'd like to stick around oh yeah sounds Good all right awesome You are listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM Plus. I'm your host Tom Hosh, joined by my co-host Connor Cornelius, Nate Waters, and uh K.R. Brooks from Into the Void Films. We'll be right back in just a minute. Everybody, this is No Coast Cinema, WGN Plus's premier film podcast, giving you the best guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago and all around the world. I'm your host, Tom Hush, joined as always by Connor Cornelius, my other host, and our guests today, Nate Waters and K.R. Brooks from Into the Void Films, Hello. purveyors of horror. Thank and, you. and magnitude and, and magnitude. things like that,
3: <laughs> what he said,
0: <laughs> yes, so right now we 're going to be getting into our after credit sequence we 're going to wind down the show here by talking about uh, a little a little trend here in horror cinema. we figured since we have these guys from into the void films here to talk, we want to talk about the genre a little bit deeper, especially what 's been going on the last few years now, Connor, I know. You're a fan of horror, and I I think we are both big fans of a lot of the horror that's been
1: coming out recently. Yeah, and I think uh, the first film that I saw of the you know of the kind of mindset that you're speaking of this new this new sort of approach to horror that I can think of was it follows right 2014 uh, because up until then I feel like what I had been seeing were reboots of old slasher franchises you know Friday the 13th had come out uh, not too long before that um, Friday or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street which is one of the most horrifying movies to me of all time, oh, the yeah. the original, yeah. of course, yeah, yeah. The, the
0: new reboot. one horrifying, horrifying way, the
1: the Evil Dead reboot. So you see a lot of that, and you do, and that is sort of the continuing trend of what people seem to think of horror.
0: Right. And I think uh, this new wave, how, you know, one of the things of characterizing a movement and, you know, it's really it's always subjective. Looking at movements in this way is always going to be subjective. But uh, what I want to try to do is characterize what we see in these films and try to explain why it's it's. Proven to be such a comeback for the genre I mean we're seeing a renewed interest In making horror films of real Stature here and uh, I guess we'll throw it to the Into the Void guys Um, Were you guys fans Of It Follows?
3: Yes to a certain degree To a certain degree? Yeah um, I'm not a fan of the Last half hour of that movie but I think the first Hour is fantastic and the score Is awesome yeah yeah
1: Disaster piece
3: yeah I mean like regardless If you like the movie or not the score is awesome
2: Yes Mm -hmm i just felt like the whole concept of the movie was hilarious to me <laughs> it is right i it mean, really it's is that,
1: it's that like it high ju-
0: school halloween kind of yeah, yeah it does get into yeah. this realm of absurdity it, it i mean all horror is is kind of operating and feel free to correct me if i'm way out of line here but it's always operating in this level of absurdity because it is this heightened world that you're creating
3: the trick is making characters that are believable enough to make the absurdity right stick
0: yeah Um, I would say this this new set of movies I'm gonna try to throw out some names that I feel like fall into it you know it follows was definitely one of them I would say get out definitely another uh, big horror movie Um,
3: I mean like right. so to me a big part of this movement stems from like we got to give credit where credits due. Jason Blum from Blumhouse. Oh no doubt. He's he is the guy who you know they they are this production company where their idea is to take smaller movies that are shot for like you know four million dollars. I think if they're doing a sequel, they maybe do it for ten million dollars. But they put them in huge you know like um, mainstream distribution. They put them on like three thousand screens, and those movies make a lot of money. So to me, like that's really what the what this new trend kind of hinges on is they're low budget movies, but they're high concept ideas.
0: Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. I mean, and Blumhouse uh, being directly responsible for things like The Conjuring, The Purge, The Purge.
3: Oh, I'm sorry, uh, right. Warner, Warner Brothers did The Conjuring. Sorry, uh, Blumhouse did uh, Insidious. Right? In- Am I wrong Off on that? But I
0: feel like he's been produced. Bloomhouse Productions been doing Paranormal everything. Activity. Yeah, yeah. Like right. they've
3: they've been there since like and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: Um, even uh, they were involved in M Night Shyamalan's Split.
3: Yep, which is a huge hit and it was made for ten million dollars. So,
0: which is incredible. So, looking at that, you said you mentioned low budget but high concept, mm-hmm. which uh, seems to be true mm-hmm. with Get Out. Low budget high con- relatively high concept it's not you know there's not going to be much cgi but yeah. it requires a it's, little bit higher thinking it's
3: behind. ambitious
1: in its own way
3: there's, Yeah. there's fantastical things like with the sunken place and like there's, yeah. there's all kinds of weird imagery in that movie so like it is a bit of a higher concept and it's also a little bit um it's an idea that kind of shakes people up a little bit. Yeah. So for a studio to, I am mean, not even just a little bit, just a lot, you know, right. but for a studio, um, because like Jordan Peele's talked about how so many people rejected that script at first and then, you know, like it's, it's the perfect socio-political climate for a movie like that to come out with everything that's going on in the world today.
0: Yes. And I think that's something that's, that new horror movies are kind of trying to get at is, uh, getting back to that idea of tackling social, social Political problems because you can see that in a lot of uh, classic horror films they're dealing with you know bit, things bigger than the concept itself. Uh, with, it, with it follows, it's dealing with teen sexuality and nostalgia because it takes place in this like uh, anachronistic, anachronistic world where it's like. One of the scenes from that If you guys remember When she opens Like it looks like A makeup mirror It's like a shell <laughs> <Yeah>. And it's <laughs> right. and she's re- It's like a yeah. kindle right. And you're just like What <laughs> right. the is, hell is this When is this it's movie awesome. happening yeah. Yep and why doesn't someone get their
1: iPhone
3: out? Yeah, and just exactly. do it you know,
1: totally harkens back to that like 80s Halloween esque. Yeah, oh, yeah, no. it's a total Carpenter esque, yeah. you know. <laughs> Even the music,
3: the music in that sounds like there's certain yeah. cues from Nightmare on Elm Street, with like, yeah. and
0: uh, if we'll, we'll stray into TV a little bit here, uh, but Stranger Things, oh, yeah, not I, I guess you could call it because it's so
1: Stephen Kingy. you know, it's, yeah, similar it,
3: scores too. John yeah. Carpenter all over, yeah. Stranger <laughs> Things was something that um, I was kind of late to the party on that. Yeah. Like Kevin had been telling me for months, like, dude, watch Stranger Things.
2: <laughs> I don't know why it took him so long. I'm lazy. <laughs> <I> really- <laughs> and then, when, well, yeah, once I
3: finally got into it, like, you're I, like, yes. it's amazing. It's an amazing show, and it's like, it felt like they had like zipped open my brain and pulled out things that I liked and then put it in this show. it, yeah. like, it felt like it was for me.
0: And that's another. I feel like that also deals with some social ills, things like that. Uh, Split deals with mental illness. I don't even know if I would call that a horror, but on some level, it mm-hmm. it has those horror ideas. It's a a surprisingly horrifying movie, especially the bit when the girl's getting, like, she goes in the closet, and she's, like, getting her stomach eaten, and you can hear it. uh, But I think uh, um,
3: horror, you know, like, we're going back to having that capacity for metaphor and allegory. um, Horror has always had a place as far as making comments on The Times. And you go back, you look at, like, the Atomic movies from the 50s. All those monster movies are about the fear of radiation. And, like, you know, Last House on the Left speaks on the fears of the Vietnam War. And that movie shot, like, a documentary because all this awful footage was coming back. Right. And so that's why they never cut. And then, you know, you get into, like, they live territory where it's, like, the fear of Reaganomics and consumerism. Yeah. you know, so
0: where is it? Where are we going next? Are we gonna? I know Jordan Peele kind of wants to continue what he's doing with yeah. making these, uh, taking on social horrors. Yeah. Do you think that's what we're most afraid of right
3: now? Well, I think um, Jordan Peele, what he's doing is, I mean, like horror has always taken on social fears it's always done right. that. but what he's doing is he's acknowledging a big part of the horror audience that the mainstream studios don't acknowledge which is the black audience yes and he's talked about that he's like the black community love for by and large loves going to horror movies they're a big part of that audience so he wanted to make a movie for those people and that's why that movie you know you watch it in a fall in a full house and it brings the house down yeah you know, it's 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 specifically designed to, to elicit a great audience response but, I mean, yeah, I think his movie is just really on the head with the social commentary. And it's, like I said, it's hitting at a perfect time. And people are really receptive to the message because they're like, finally, someone's saying what a lot of people have been thinking.
0: Yeah, is let's make horror movies for the people who are watching them and, and acknowledging stories uh, that are traditionally untold. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. KR, is there is there anything that you're looking forward to in the horror genre? Are you seeing a comeback or is this just the same like are we just dressing it differently and giving it an 80s sheen because a lot of this stuff like straight we mentioned stranger things and uh and it follows that was like total 80s oh, throwback so mm-hmm. is are we just are we just mining what we already have or are we trying to forge something new here i feel like it's a little bit of both honestly it's
2: like um you know clothing it goes through yeah. cycles you know you you'll have a resurgence of something i think that that i guess right now we're in the 80s 80s. coming back into you know into the mainstream everybody it it
3: reminds me of this time i was at like a clothing store with my mom when i was a teenager and there's like this shirt that was from the 70s and she's like i wore that when i was a kid now it's coming back you know it's (laughs) a hundred dollars yeah no exactly horror goes through these waves and cycles it's kind of like a phoenix like that where you know certain things will work and then it'll go 15 years and then it comes right on back and then something about it Mm -hmm. speaks to people you know yeah
0: but we're getting this like uh, horror seems to be a traditionally low budget affair, even with the biggest of of its of its uh, mm-hmm. films. So, do you think that it's going to continue to be that? Like, does hor- horror doesn't really change? Does it too much? It takes on different things, but it seems like as a genre, they really steeped in tradition. You know, you got to pay homage to the to the forefathers. Is that? Am I totally misreading that?
3: I don't feel like today's uh, system is too far removed from you know like what Roger Corman would have done, where he makes his these ultra low budget movies and then schleps them to all these different theaters himself you know. I think that the way that, um, distribution and the video market has essentially dissolved, people aren't really buying DVDs and Blu-rays. A lot of people are, you know, uh, either streaming or torrenting movies. So, uh, a, like a big way that movies have to get out there is through streaming and people aren't making as much money off movies. So the budgets go down. Right. So like for Hollywood, a low budget would have been like $10 million. Right. So for us, like, you know, we're trying to make a movie for like $25,000 an obscenely low amount of money. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that's kind of considered the ultra low budget is like 100,000 and below.
0: Wow. That's changed like, I, a lot. Yeah, yeah, how do you how do you even operate? How
3: do you do it? Yeah, yeah. like and like and we know somebody uh Julian Grant. He's a great uh he is the king of indie cinema. That's what he's known as in Chicago for doing DIY stuff. He makes movies for like $3,000 and he gets distribution for them.
0: Wow. You know. So it's uh with is that your dream? Do you guys want to be the Indie Kings soon? I just, <laughs> at least the Indy Kings <laughs> of horror? I want
3: to have our own legacy. That is, people know us for our body of work. And also, right. you know, like, we love horror movies, but I wouldn't mind doing, like, an Amblin-style kids movie at some point. <laughs> cool. doing something weird, you know, that's outside of horror. But, I mean... I d- I don't want to be known just for that, but if we ever if if we're known at all, I feel lucky. So exactly. I'm not going to complain. It's a champagne problem.
2: <laughs> I hear you. Right? I hear you. It's it's all about finding ways to to cut those costs down. You know, like we own between Nate and I everything we would need to make a film. Um, you know, with maybe renting a couple things here and there, but you know that's just how we operate. And, and we figure out. You know, we. We kind of, like, going back to, like, the high concept sort of, at least for, you know, horror, like, we'll think of something that's crazy that we want to try and do, and we'll find out a dirt-cheap way to do it that's effective on screen. And I think a good, uh, a little, I guess, a little tidbit for any horror filmmakers who are listening, um, if you need a cool blood splatter, just buy yourself an old, uh, uh, empty fire extinguisher and you can compress air in it and put blood, and you can shoot it all over the yep. place. And it's, and it's <laughs> yeah. about
3: uh, $20. Something $20. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we learned that from KMBFX, who worked on um, everything you know, from like Dust Till Dawn to Kill Bill. And I saw that on Kill Bill on the behind-the-scenes, so yeah, I, like, like, I stole well, that do shit. It. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, you get like those evil dead geysers of blood. <laughs> yeah.
1: And is that not like a common trope in horror? Not, maybe not trope, but a, a filmmaking method is where it's historically a lower budget affair with horror movies, right? But you see innovation be birthed out of that. Yeah. You see the the director of Evil Dead creating the turning the camera into an actual character into not only the Mm -hmm. a character but the Mm -hmm. antagonist of the film
3: which is iconic now i mean and they did it because they had no other choice but like you know at the time they're like shit uh, let's just put the camera on a on a a board and have someone go oh (laughs) and it sells it it totally works yeah it's the same thing with the shark and jaws if that shark would have worked you would have seen it all over the movie but because that shark, the first time they tested it out, it just sank. Yeah. They're like, well, maybe it'd we better to shoot POVs and put input during and Dern and during yeah. during under it. So.
1: And that's something that will stick with you, too. When I'm watching a horror movie now and I see a camera that's slightly moving, I'm thinking, is this the perspective of somebody that we're about to meet? Is this some supernatural, fo-? you know? Mm-hmm. It totally changes the paradigm. Yeah. It does. It does.
0: All right. Into the Void films on the, uh, on the new wave of horror. So basically- the Do we, we have a name is- for
1: this? Is there a name for this new... Sort of movement within horror where it's actually like
3: I'm not sure there is yet because I remember the one before this it was the found footage trend
1: right right and then before
3: right. that was either you want to call it torture porn or gorno mm-hmm. yeah the, court, which was yeah. like the saw Hostel thing you know and you
0: had like new horror which was, was like...
3: the remake craze was before that yeah that was
0: like and... that was like thirteen ghosts and yep. Jason X right. yeah, which yeah, is a fantastic the, oh, film. man shout out to Clearly. Todd
3: to Todd Browner or Todd Todd Brown he's the director of that or the cow. writer he's awesome. But, um, before that was like the scream era, so it was like it was like yeah. everything it was, was like, like postmodernism
0: yeah yeah, post-modern. meta stuff, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see, uh, I think we're seeing a lot of good horror come out, even you know. In the next few years, we'll see how it goes, and we'll coin the term. We're gonna get there. I will. I will personally call <laughs> these guys from and into let the void know. and be like, "I need something. Good God, please we'll let us name know when it. you figure
3: it out." Yeah, oh, yeah, I don't know what to call it yet. Yeah, yeah. Besides, you know, low budget, high concept. Because that's too long. <laughs>
0: Nothing nothing says creative integrity like four white guys in a room. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So before we get out of here, uh, something I always like to do is check in with everybody, see what uh, we've been watching recently, what we're excited to watch. and this can include pretty much anything, you know. Oh wow, lost it there for a second. That
1: sounds good. Tom. Uh, Don't worry uh, about just it. Just get it there. Just get
0: it there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this could be films or television. You know, television is a, is still an important thing. It's taken on a more cinematic role. So, uh,
1: Connor, what have you been watching recently? Have you been or excited about watching? Uh, well, I did watch a uh, little-known horror gem, Moana. A couple days ago, <laughs> yes. um, I did watch that, but I, I actually had a double double feature with a couple of my roommates the other night, and we watched Moana. And right before that, we watched Demon, which is a, por- a Polish horror film. Uh, I can't remember the director, but the uh, my roommate that decided to put it on told me that the director actually committed suicide Ooh. following the oh, wow. following the release of the film, which. Uh, you know, real life stories that are tied to film sort of that kind of it gives it a little bit more of a tragic bend. It may, kind of changes yeah. the experience when you're watching it. So what, what is the plot of demon like? What OK, it- so it's it's <laughs> incredible. It does a great job of combining the the aspects of horror that you kind of want to see. It's there's, you know, obviously the scare aspect of it, but there is sort of kind of a comedy aspect at the very end. The So it, the the plot of the film is uh, a man is it's a polish wedding and they're holding it on this plot of land this like muddy farm area in this barn and at some point the groom gets possessed by a female ghost because her corpse is dug up outside of the uh wedding venue and it is basically just the comedy comes from the dad trying to keep it under wraps that the groom is possessed (laughs) and he's just he's like, no, we paid for it. We've got to get these people, just keep feeding them booze we'll make it a three-day just drunken blackout affair. And he's just, so he's, it's him uh, and all the other people that are involved in trying to, at the same time, manage the possessed main character. And understand why the why the things are happening, but also there's this kind of hilarious subplot of trying to make sure that all of the guests <laughs> at the party are like still drunk. Wow. And then at the very end <laughs> this guy, the the Polish dad, walks up to the stage and he just addresses the whole crowd and he's like this wedding this wedding never happened <laughs> he's just trying to, like, convince people that it no, just never happened it was hilarious i thought it, it was it was pretty good i'm gonna have to seek that one out yeah. demon.
0: demon 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 all right <laughs> kr been watching anything recently or are you looking forward to anything
2: so the last film that i saw was the void Ah, yes. So not to be not confused, not with our void, but the void, <clears throat> um, which I saw at the Music Box Theater, uh, actually with Nate. Oh, yeah, if you guys want to jump in on that, do it double. <laughs> yeah. Um, I. So it's um, the, the thing about that movie was the practical effects. They actually had fountains of blood and, and actual creatures that were they're not cgi you know there was i think there was maybe one little thing
3: the triangle portal thing yeah,
2: yeah so there was like a little bit of cgi but they did it all all on set actually which i thought was super impressive wow because not only is it is it very expensive to do things that way yeah but it's also great because it's like a throwback to everything else and how it used to be done yeah and what's you, the what's the plot of the void like what give us a general overview um essentially
3: uh it's like a sh- I like Go ahead. Go ahead. So a sheriff is on patrol in a sleepy small town and nothing's happening. And this bloody beat up dude comes out of the woods and needs help and he like passes out. So the sheriff takes the guy to the hospital and the hospital is uh, being operated by a skeleton crew because there's a fire there recently. So there's not a lot of people there. And so it's basically like five people hold up in this hospital, and all of these guys in white cult robes appear outside the hospital with knives, and everybody can't leave; they're stuck in there. And it's so it's it's like combining the thing with Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! And then um, so the the cult, you find out that there's some culty shit in the ba- or culty stuff in the basement. It's very Lovecraftian, and um, there's a lot of tentacles and spider legs and weird, sundry-legged things. And oh, Christ, it's fun. It's a lot of fun, and it's like we're talking about. It seems to be that, like, the 80s is making a comeback as far mm-hmm. as horror. And it's totally it's – like, the, um, the the guys that made that movie are from the production company Astron 6, which they did, like, the editor. And I'm forgetting – sorry, guys, some of your other movies. But they're great guys. And they do um, things that are kind of rooted in the 80s and okay. late 70s.
0: I like that. So that's showing at the music box. I know that. Yep. They, they had a pretty – Based on what I saw, because I was trying to see it really bad at the Music Box, one of my favorite theaters here in the city, apart from the new 400 in Rogers Park. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I know that they like sold out that first weekend. People were yeah, yeah. jazzed mm-hmm. about it, and now they're showing it at like 9:30 pretty yeah. much every night. So uh, definitely get out there. Would you give it a heavy recommendation or you know thum- yeah. thumbs up? Definitely uh, check it out at least. I would say check it
2: out. Yeah, for check sure. it out. If
3: you're a, yeah. if you're a fan of that kind of stuff, you'll like it. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you? Would you say that you both
2: at least enjoyed it? Oh, yeah. I enjoyed it for sure. There, you know, it, 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 like a lot of films, it had its uh, moments where you're just like... Like a, come okay, on, uh, come okay. on. Yeah. But but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, right. Overall I liked it. Because it's a
3: mashup of like five different genres. So sometimes it's like, well, that's a little out of place. But I mean, like, for what they did on the budget they did, it's it's pretty cool to see, you know?
0: That's excellent. All right. Definitely and it is it is if you're not able to make it out to the music box or you're not living somewhere where uh you have a, a small theater that's showing it, it is available video on demand. I know that's odds are that's how I'm gonna end up watching it, even though it's not ideal for me like that might be how it is as long as i see it that's what i care about really all right tom Um, what have you been watching lately oh wow i don't i'm trying to watch the void but um i actually saw the big japanese hit movie your name i was in austin last weekend and i made it out to a uh alamo draft house which was an interesting experience if you've never been to it or if you've never heard of it it's basically a theater where uh you get tableside service like you sit in your seat and in front of you there's a big long like s- table and there's like almost like a service well row right in front of that behind the next row of seats and uh you literally like place orders for beer and food and all that kind of stuff before the show comes you know before the show comes on and uh it's pretty great it's, it's it was a different experience i don't know if i would do it That often. If they had one in Chicago, I'd maybe go there every once in a while if I wanted to get the full uh the full deal there but i'm definitely more of a traditionalist when it comes to seeing but like i would go to the music box sit yeah. with my you know popcorn and they serve i mean they serve beer at the music box if you want a beer mm-hmm. but you know none of that you, you got to be into the experience yeah. but how many showrooms do they have at the draft house at the draft house i was at, and they've got multiple it's like franchised like they have okay. it all around the u.s oh, but I they see. started in in texas, texas. Uh, i think they had like nine Something okay.
1: to that effect. Uh, I was going to say, I'm a little surprised that your name got such a high-profile screening event. Well, yeah, exactly. And it's because uh, of
0: how successful it was in Japan. Number one film of 2016 for them. Wow. Um, it's been getting rave reviews. And, uh, you know, Alamo Drafthouse is like the music box in terms of its uh, of the uh, curation. So they're showing those indie films that you're probably not going to catch at like your local AMC unless it's a really big AMC you've got an AMC that like uh downtown here in Illinois 21 screens, yeah. you know, they're probably going to have at least a showing of yeah. it. But um yeah, they were showing they were showing it at the one I was at and it was really good. It's Pretty typical romantic anime Fair but like Horrific in its own way right There's the (laughs) body body switching Yeah the body switching this is the main thing It's basically Freaky Friday if Freaky Friday were a love story Mm. Uh, It's about a girl who Lives out in the sticks in Japan Like outside way outside Tokyo And she just kind of dreams Of being you know an upscale You know Tokyo boy And get all the uh the advantages provided to her for that and then one day there's like this comet and it's passing by and she wakes up and she's she is the boy her and the her and a boy in Tokyo have switched bodies and you know hilarity ensues like the boy is just like I'm a girl so he grabs her chest like a bunch he's like I can't believe it this and is what they feel like and there's the horror element yeah <laughs> <laughs> the the horrible defiling of a teenage body. Uh no that's a little bit it's depressing. not a
1: horrible or defilement probably <laughs> I haven't it's seen it's the movie it's for comedic but.
0: effect but uh um, it really is very cute it's uh, there's a we- it's it's got a weird like time travel element to it uh that comes later on uh, I don't know if I want to spoil it but that does happen and the comic comes into play real mm-hmm. heavy so um I think it was like a full two hours and 15 minutes for an animated film, so yeah, good well, for them. Nice. But, uh, yeah, I definitely recommend it. If you're into anime, Go and you are probably already seen it, but definitely go see it if you want to check it out. Not my favorite animated film of all time, but definitely worth the experience. And I got a delicious burger out of it. There you go. So uh, there you go. And in terms of things I'm looking forward to, I I know we're not focused on Hollywood here, but The Last Jedi... Oh, Drop the trailer. Yes. So, yeah We can't yes. not talk about I'm, that. I'm avoiding it. Up.
1: Actually, it's really, yeah. That's you have watched it. That's my method. That's I awesome. avoid. I avoid all trailers how of- could how though for the news you didn't even want to see a little bit it doesn't even reveal anything well the first things so on my social on my you know news on or whatever my feed on facebook is you have to click on it to go to it so i'm okay now mm-hmm. but when they start doing just those videos that will just play at the yeah. top of your feed where you can't not if i see if i see mark camille in the jedi robes if his face just appears out of a dark square, I don't know if I'll be able to have the, you know, the mental wherewithal to avoid it. But Scroll. for yeah. right now, for right now, I'm trying to. Also, not-
0: I got to point out how you said Mark Hamill's last. <laughs> yeah, that was Hamill? Hamill. Hamill.
3: Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill. Hamill. <laughs> I like Mark Hamill. I think has a certain. Yeah. No,
1: it's no, it's Hamill. Hamill. It- <laughs> what did you say? Hamill? Forget <laughs> he it. I said Hamill. Whatever. Listen, it's Mark Hamill. Let's move on. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. Mm Hamill.
0: The film also (laughs) stars Carrie Fisher. (laughs) Fisker? Fisker. Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. Daisy... Ridley. Uh, anyway, uh, that, thanks for that episode of Great Bits. You're welcome. Uh, good bits. All right, guys. So that is the hot end takes. of Hot Takes. <laughs> uh, That's the end of No Co Cinema for this edition. Uh, I want to thank again Nate Waters mm-hmm. and also Kr Brooks from Into the Void Films. Uh, where can they find you on Facebook, YouTube? You on, got where's your presence
3: on Facebook? Uh, this is Into the Void Films. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, Into the Void Films, as well.
2: And we also have a website, intothevoidfilms.net. And that's under construction
0: right now, coming soon. Yeah, coming soon. soon. Very soon. All right, hopefully we'll get that soon, because we want to check out as much of your stuff as possible. Uh, Thank you both, again, so much for coming on the show. Um, Best of luck to you for the films in the future. Hopefully we'll be seeing them soon. Thank Uh, Thank you. Thank you again to Connor. Thank you, Tom. Love you. I love you, too, and I also hate you yeah. so much. Yeah, it's getting there.
3: I can feel the love and the hate.
0: God.
1: Yeah. It's swirling around.
0: Yeah. Next time, we're going to have a fight to the death. Oh, man. Uh, that'll be the main feature. That'll be the next no episode. No guess. It's just going to be an, just the audio of a of
1: a you know stick fight. Just a broken pool cue. Yep. Two people trying to just make it <laughs> two men enter just. one man leaves <laughs>
0: perfect all right and I have been your host Tom hush uh, thanks for listening this has been no Co cinema here on WGM plus your guide to cinema here in Chicago and around the world we will see you next time good morning good evening good night